the fifth grade and under, you can be dismissed. Hey, bud. Probably that way would be good. Thanks. We'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> oh, love those guys. What a blessing. Okay, we're in Matthew chapter 26 today. How many of you would agree along with me that relationships can be tricky? Uh, consider the marriage mayhem when 76-year-old Bill Baker of London wed Edna Harvey. She happened to be his granddaughter's husband's mother. Okay, that's where the confusion began. So this is what uh, his granddaughter Lynn wrote. My mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my stepfather-in-law. My mom is my sister-in-law, and my brother is my nephew. But it gets even crazier than that. Now I'm married to my uncle, and my own children are my cousins. <laughs> relationships can be tricky. Yet relationships are extremely important. Uh, Carnegie Institute tells us that 90% of all people who fail in their careers fail because they cannot get along with people. Uh, that's an important part of being successful. Did you know that single men are jailed more often? They earn less, they have more illnesses, and they die at a younger age than married men. Married men with cancer live 20% than single men with the same cancer do, 20% longer. Uh, women, which usually have much more of a group of closer relationships and friendships than men, survive, survive longer with the same cancers. Married or not, relationships... They keep us alive. They keep us going. But there is one relationship that is more important than any other relationship you can have on this earth. And that is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about friends with Jesus and picking different people in the Bible that served alongside Jesus in a close and intimate way. And today we look at a man we've been looking at for the last two weeks because there's such volumes about him. And so this will be our final chapter uh, in this man's life. His name is Peter, that great disciple, the leader of the disciples and the early church. His name is Simon Peter. He is the disciple who walked on water, but he started to sink when the winds and the waves blew away his faith. He offended God himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that story where God interrupted him mid-speech and had to shut him down? His name is Peter. He testified that Jesus was the Son of God, boldly, confidently, and without hesitation. His name is Simon Peter. He denied Jesus three times in one night. Uh, he promised and swore that he would never forsake his master, but he ran like a scared rabbit for fear of his life when it came time. Simon Peter, a man of broken promises and a man of failures. His name is Peter. We know him as the great apostle. He's responsible for the salvation and baptism of literally thousands and thousands of people. He is so endued with the power of God on his life that Acts chapter 5 tells us as he walked along, people that wanted healing would try to get into his shadow. He was so full of the power of God, his shadow would heal people. This is Peter. What made Peter a man of success? I mean, Peter was a, a man of great accomplishments. What made Simon Peter, the man of such colossal failures, become Peter, the man of such great, impactful, powerhouse 
spirituality. Spiritual giant that Peter was. We have Simon Peter, as, a, as we looked at a little humorously last week, or, or the week, or first week, I think, that Jesus called him Simon whenever he messed up. <laughs> called him Peter whenever he did a good job. How did Simon Peter get to Peter? And that's what I want to look at one of the things today. Today I want to talk about what I believe are the two sweetest words in the New Testament. They have, I have thought this for years, and I know we've talked, I've, I've mentioned it before in passing, but today I want to focus on them. These two words in your Bible, I hope will encourage you today to overcome your failures as well, and to overcome your hardships. Because all of us have failures. Every one of us, we, many of us catalog them in our minds, and we allow Satan to beat us over our head with our past, thereby crippling our future. We allow him to discourage us with our mistakes and failures. We even get to the point where we might say, God has no use for someone like me. He doesn't have a place for me in this world. But dear friend, today, I have two words for you. Two words from the Bible that I hope will show you that you are 100% mistaken. I want to drive these into your heart today because these two words can make all the difference in the world for you. These two words can help redeem your life from a past that is riddled with disaster. These two words will allow you to overcome what has been and accept what can be. All because of the two sweetest words in the New Testament, in my opinion. But before we get to those, I want to look at, at some background here. You're at Matthew chapter 26. This is a well-known episode in Peter's life, uh, and it often defines him. We do that to ourselves, don't we? We allow things to define us, our failures or things that happen to us. And all of a sudden, we uh, take these things that, that they aren't us, they're not who we are, they're not who God created, and yet we allow these things to define who we are going forward. And often we define Peter by this failure here, if we don't step past it like he did. We often do that to ourselves. We take the choices that we made or the things that happened to us and we allow them to define us. We allow the old accuser, as the Bible calls Satan, to persuade us that we are unworthy for what God has for us. Can I tell you something, friend, to encourage you? Satan might know about your sin, but he can only accuse you. Because if you're in Christ, he cannot condemn you, thank God. He can only accuse you, but oh, he does. And too often we listen. I'm glad that we can fail and not be a failure. I'm glad that we can fail and it's not the end of it. Because failure is an event, it is not a person. And we'll see that very clearly today. Let's start reading, if you would, Matthew 26, verse number 33. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise said all the apostles, the, the disciples. Look at verse number 57. And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now go down to verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, 
damsel came to him, saying, Thou wast also with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. They were going out of the porch. Another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crewed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus. Today I want to talk to you about the two sweetest words in the New Testament. Father, I pray you'd help us today as many, many of us can identify with this failure. And yet, how many of us need to get beyond it and do great things for you? I pray you'd challenge us in a special way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter had some problems, <laughs> we can see. And they're common with many of us today. I think the first thing we can see in Peter is uh, the first verse that we read is a certain amount of pride in Peter's life. I, others might fail thee, Lord, but I'll never fail thee. He was very full of his own ability and uh, very sure of himself. He thought higher of himself than he should have. And uh, Romans 12:3 tells us not to think of ourselves higher than we ought. And uh, Matthew 23, 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. That's your memory verse for this week, if you've noticed in your bulletin. Uh, Peter was very vocal about his assurance. And that's how pride is, because the more prideful we are, often the more vocal we are. It's like a drum. By its very emptiness, it's making noise. And our pride does that in our life. And that's what Peter was doing. Be very careful of people who tout their accomplishments and brag on their abilities an awful lot. Many times it's backed up by emptiness. But when you and I fail, we'll often do so after we have been in a position where we're very sure of ourselves and we're very confident in what we're doing. And during the Civil War, during the Battle of the Wilderness, Union General John Sedgwick was inspecting his troops. And he was out in the open uh, looking at the direction of the enemy, and he was uh, talking to his men there, but it was kind of a, an open field there. And his, uh, his lieutenants with him were telling him, this is not a good idea. You ought to be uh, ducked behind some things and protect yourself. And uh, Colonel, uh, I'm sorry, General Sedgwick said, nonsense! They couldn't hit an elephant at this disc. And he got hit and went down. And he died moments after. Isn't that how life is? Nonsense! It's not going to affect me. And then, boom, here we are hit. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Peter was about to have a big fall. Not only was there pride, but there was also a, a searching after ease or comfort. And boy, that's a problem with so many Christians today. Matthew 26, verse 40. He cometh to the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Just after he bragged to Jesus that he would never betray him. Here he is asked to pray. And in Jesus' deepest hour of companionship, when he needs them the most, we find Peter asleep. And may I say today, that is the sad state of many Christians today. Asleep. As the time draws nearer to Christ's return, it is ever more important for us to tell others about Christ because there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. He says in Matthew 18, 11, the Son of Man is to come to seek and to save that which is lost, and we ought to have the same mission upon our life. Yet when the world is screaming for answers, so many times Christians are asleep. I think the directive that Jesus gave to his disciples could very well be uh, pointed to us as well. Wake up! 
uh, look at what it says in Ephesians 5.14. Awake thou that sleepest, it says. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This is a day which in, in which Christians should be awake. God needs people to wake up to the uh, destruction of sin around us. God needs people to get up uh, determined to do something about it. And God needs people to speak up about the love of Christ to dying people. Can I ask you, when's the last time you told a co-worker or a neighbor the good news of the gospel? When's the last time you handed out a gospel tract or invited somebody to church? When's the last time you did anything to get a lost soul uh, from hell to heaven? Are you sleeping spiritually this morning? Uh, At the time that Jesus needed him the most, Peter was at ease. He was sleeping Do you pray when you're uh, out at a restaurant? Do other people know you're a Christian? I hope so. I hope you're not ashamed of that fact. Uh, We have, when I was a young man, I have to admit there were times that I did uh, things. I think I've always prayed over meals every time, but you know, we have different ways as Christians to do that. There's the yawn, you know, or bless my food. Uh, to kind of try to cover it up. There's the dropped napkin as you lean down, pray for this cheeseburger to act like a carrot when I eat it, you know. And uh, we have different ways. We don't, we don't have to be weird. We don't have to jump up on the table and pray loud so everybody can hear us. Thank you for this food. Thank you for Burger King. It reminds me you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We don't have to be weird about it. But are you ashamed of the one who saved you? We oughtn't be. We ought to be more concerned about our duty than about our ease. But Peter did that. And then we see the verse here we read that he followed afar off. Matthew 26, 58, but Peter followed him afar off into the high priest's office. Now, now thank God Peter was following, okay? He didn't just totally forsake. But have you ever followed something afar off or viewed something from afar off? There's a disconnect there. Uh, There's a... Uh, and we can't be too hard on Peter again. Many of us would have done the same thing in this room. The soldiers have just taken someone he loves and he's in a panic not knowing what to do. He may have been trying to formulate a plan. What is he going to do? But here we find an interesting fact. He followed, but he did so at a distance. And we find a parallel there as well uh, to this day and age, the people that will follow God, but only do so at a distance. I'll come to church. Don't ask me to get involved. Hey, I'll join the church and I'll show up, but don't ask me to teach a Sunday school. Don't ask me to work VBS. My goodness, don't ask me to work VBS. You know what I'm saying? We do that. We follow at a distance. Uh, We've become a serve-me generation of Christians. And we ought not be consumer Christians. We ought to get in and get involved. Uh, Don't follow at a distance. Can I tell you this morning, this church, Bible Baptist Church, was not built and is not sustained by people who don't get involved. It's the people that get in and get involved and do the work uh, of God. And I hope that you will as well. You don't want to look back at the end of your life and find that you successfully managed to stay out of it. Get involved in something bigger than yourself. Now, the truth of the matter is, when you don't, and you start to separate yourself from God and God's people, you become less interested in being around God's house and God's people, by the very nature of that, Uh, action, you are pulling closer to the world and further away from God, which is exactly what happened to Peter. Again, this is a progression, and that's why it led to what we see next, and that is evil associations. In John 18, 18, the Bible says, And the servants and officers stood there, who made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Here we find Peter with the wrong crowd. He should have never been around them in the first place. They were the enemy. 
You, you know, if you've ever memorized, hopefully, Psalm 1, remember what Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, nor standeth in the way of sinners. I've got that backwards, but uh, walketh, standeth, sitteth. Uh, those three things, we see all of them here because uh, the Bible says that Peter uh, was uh, walking with them, and then it says in First Peter, or John 18, 18, standing there warming his hands, and then in, uh, it says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful in Psalm, and in Mark 14, 54, he sat with the servants and warmed himself in the fire. Distance yourself from God and God's people, and soon you'll find yourself cozying up to people of the world that you should have no business being around. It always works that way, and we see it with Peter. Here he is warming his hands. And as he's there for a while, someone says, Hey, I know you. I know you. You're one of his disciples. You're the one, one of the people that traveled with him. I remember you. And uh, Peter then is presented with a choice that we so often face. And before we look at his response, let's go back to what he said just hours before. Remember in verse 35? Though I should die with thee, Yet will I not deny thee. Well, here's his chance. Here's his chance. What would what did he do? What would you do? Is a good question. And here we see open denial. John 18, 25, he denied it and said, I am not. What a step Peter took here, denying the Lord Jesus Christ, who he's been following for three years. And then he goes a step further, and we see blasphemy. And there's an interesting lesson here in, in uh, not here, but in Mark chapter 14, verse 71. Uh, it says, but he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. Now, once in a while, we can expand our understanding by going to the original language. In the Greek text, it's interesting here as you parse this out, it uses a Greek word. You'll probably recognize this because it's in your King James Bible. It literally, the, in the Greek, it says, and he anathematized. That's the Greek word for curse. It just says, he anathematized. The verse stands there by itself. It is not a reflexive verb. You want to go to English class for just a minute? I liked English. I hated math because math comes from the devil. But English comes from the Lord, okay? <laughs> we'll go to English class for just a little bit. Sorry, Brother Howard. I love you as a brother. I just don't know why you made such life choices as you did. Um, but a reflexive verb, uh, basically it refers back to, even without a pronoun, it refers back to the subject, which would basically mean he's cursing himself. But this is not a reflexive verb in this place here. This is a transitive verb. And it's not like our verb that just profanity for profanity's sake. That's not what he was doing. He was cursing with a purpose here. It is a transitive verb, and a transitive verb must have an object. He was cursing something or someone to try to save his own skin. Oh, Peter... Don't do it. Don't do it. But who was he cursing? I believe that he was cursing Jesus to prove he wasn't a disciple. How do you swear you're not a disciple? By cursing the master. Because no disciple would curse his own master. There's proof there. And Peter here was saving his own hide by cursing his master. This is terrible, personal, and public betrayal. Then he hears a sound that makes the horror of what he just did descend down on him, punching him in the gut. We read about it. We did in our text a few minutes ago. This sound shoots through him like electricity. He hears the crowing of a rooster, and he remembers the words that Jesus said that he would deny, and he realized he just said. But I want to I show you another verse that's just 
super impactful to this, and it adds to the scene. Luke twenty two sixty one says, At that very moment, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me throughout. Now let me just, let's just stop here for a moment. I want you to just stop and understand the gravity of this situation right here. He made eye contact with Jesus. Uh, just close your eyes or mentally think, what was Jesus' face like at that point? Accusatory? Sad? Angry? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I tell you what Peter felt like. Can you imagine what Peter felt like? Imagine the guilt and the pain that descended on his soul as the Savior makes eye contact with him. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. The original word is kleo, that means to weep for, to mourn, to bewail uh, one. Mark 5, 38 uh, expands this same word further when it says wailed greatly. And I want you to think of the scene as he is looking, as he denies for the third time, he hears the sound of the rooster, and all of a sudden he remembers what Jesus said, and his head snaps over to where Jesus was, and at the same moment Jesus looked at him and they made eye contact. Imagine that. The Bible says he wept. Bitterly, he wailed. I can, in, in my mind, I just pictured that Peter probably dropped to his knees and, no, what have I done? He wailed, he wept bitterly, and I don't think he stopped for three days. What a horrible thing that he did. What a terrible failure in his life. And no other disciple has risen so high or sunk so low as Peter did. And here he is at this moment, and maybe I'm talking to someone here today that you've been there, or maybe you are there. The bitterness of failing, the bitterness of letting God down, the bitterness of messing up. Perhaps life has dealt you a bitter hand. And what happens now? How can we possibly go on? Can you imagine the field day that Satan had with Peter the next three days? Peter, you failed! You messed up big this time, big boy! If Jesus were even here, there's no way he'd have anything to do with you. You messed up, Peter the rock. Ha! Peter the pebble, more like. You are a failure. Over and over he would have tell, told him that. Good to hear you cursing again, Peter. Keep those words handy. That's all you're good for from now on out. You're a failure. Is there any surprise Peter wept bitterly? I don't think he stopped crying for three days. And maybe, again, you're familiar Maybe the devil's tapped on your shoulder a few times. And he said the same thing he said to Peter. You're a failure. You're a mess up. You've, uh, you've, uh, nobody wants anything to do with you. Uh, the, if, if people knew, if people knew what you really were, nobody would have anything to do with you. What church would want you in it? Where, what, why, why would God's people want to even spend and waste time with you? And God, you think God has a place for you? You're a failure, a castaway, and on and on and on. And sad to say, many times people listen to that malicious, malevolent, malevolent monster. Amen. You got the word? Bad guy. All that's introduction. Now we get to the good part. I want you to turn, if you would, to Mark 16. And don't worry about that. The introduction, of course, is way shorter than the message, but we'll have you out by two, two, three, something like that, okay? Mark 16, this is resurrection morning. Mary Magdalene and a few of the ladies are going to anoint Jesus' body. 
They're heartbroken. And on the way, they start discussing who's going to remove the stone when we get there. And it's heavy, and we can't do it. And when they got there, it didn't matter because the stone was already removed. I want you to see in verse 5, And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side and clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. Hallelujah. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. The angel says, He is risen. But I don't want you to miss what comes next. Oh, the next line holds a sweet, sweet set of words that I don't want you to miss. Don't miss the wonder in what he says. You ready? Read with me. But go your way. Tell his disciples. And the two sweetest words in the New Testament. And Peter. And Peter. Those two words confirm I'm not done with him yet. You tell the disciples that Satan has been defeated. Death has lost its sting. Sin has been paid for. You go tell the disciples that. But when you go, don't forget to tell Peter too. Whew. See, this morning in this room, we have some Peters. Well, there's a time in your life you were on fire for God. There was a time in your life when you thought you had promise, you had possibility, you had potential. You might have even made some promises that, God, I'll never leave you. Then I'm going to do great things for you. But then your life took a turn. Maybe it was bad choices you made, or maybe it was choices that you suffered on someone else's part. Maybe a trial hit your life and you've distanced yourself from God. Maybe you've even gotten to the point where you've, in your heart, denied God. But the And the load is heavy on your shoulders, your failure and your unmet expectations. You have bought into the lie that Satan has whispered in your ear, you are not worthy anymore. You are a failure. God will not use you. But oh, friend, the two sweetest words in the New Testament tell me a different story. They tell us, hey, you've messed up. Uh, you, the load might be heavy and you might have wept bitter tears, but go thy way. Tell his disciples and Peter. I love it. I love it. Why not Ann John? Why not Ann Nathaniel? There's others there. He specifically picked. I'll tell you why. Because out there was a man whose spirit was crushed. He had failed God so spectacularly. He had forsaken all to follow Christ. Oh, and he had big plans. He had a big mouth to back up his big plans and told people what he was going to do. And uh, he was had all these... Uh, di he even told John and James that he was going to be the greatest. And he had all these plans, going to turn the world upside down. But then he messed up, and he messed up big. And there was no way God could use him now. And yet, what a blessing that we see these great words, but go your way, tell his disciples... And Peter, what a blessed thought, the forgiveness and the grace of God, that he'll still use us despite our flaws. Several years ago, I read a story. I don't even know what book or where it was at, but I remember the story of a shepherd who had hundreds of sheep, and he knew all the sheep by name. And uh, the author of the article I was reading asked him how he can remember all the sheep's names. And he said, well, you know, I, I know this one. Uh, this one has a gimpy leg, and this one ha had a broken tail, and this one uh, is blind, and this one's deaf, and all these different ways that he remembered. He, it was interesting that he knew his sheep by their infirmities. When I was six years old, my dad hired a driver. We had to hire drivers in the Amish. We didn't have a way to transport animals, and we had to take a load of hogs to the sale barn to sell. 
And so my dad hired a driver, and this was a really special day because today I could go with him. And uh, I know it's probably hard to picture, but picture Mazale uh, with a big old Amish black hat on. All right, that's what about what I look like. And uh, I was in awe uh, just from the get-go and sitting in the car driving, and then we got there and all these people and the vehicles and animals, and I was just, I remember just walking around, kind of looking around, and I realized all of a sudden I was separated from my group. My dad is gone, and I'm by myself, and I'm terrified. I was scared to death because all around me were heathens like you. English people, you know, that's what we thought of you. You were heathens. And uh, so that's all that I had around me. And, and I was uh, uh, nobody else homage, nobody like me. And so I was very uh, afraid. I remember I hid behind a pallet for a while. And you can picture a kid with a big hat peeking out past the pallet. And people are, oh, this is so cute and, and everything. But I didn't feel cute. I was scared to death. And I remember I finally figured out they have to leave sometime. I'm going to go out and sit in the truck and wait for them. So I went out to the pickup. I found the one that we had come in. I couldn't quite open the door because it was my fingers weren't strong enough. So I got underneath the truck, and there I started watching for somebody I knew. I couldn't see the upper body of anybody, but that didn't matter because that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for somebody who limped. If you know my dad, he's got polio. He walks with a pronounced limp, doesn't walk like other men. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for someone who limped when they walked. And man, my joy, when out of the door came two little skinny legs, one was shorter than the other, limping out. I scrambled out of underneath the truck. I ran up and embraced him, and all my fear was gone in a moment. How did it affect my dad? After missing his boy for an hour, he must have been traumatized. Like a lot of dads, he says, Ivan, I forgot I brought you along with me today. So only one of us was traumatized on that day. My point is his infirmity is how I knew him. His infirmity is what I identified with. And, and the, in fact, it's the very thing that drew me to him. And I can tell you, friend, today, he knows your infirmity. He knows your imperfections. He knows your inadequacies. And he knows yours just like he knew Peter's. And yet Jesus is most often interested in reaching out to the one who's farthest away. He is, after all, the one who leaves the 99 and goes out after the one who has strayed away. Tell my disciples. But most of all, most of all, remember that one who's really hurting right now. You remember that one who thinks, I'm done with him. Remember the one who thinks that he has failed to the point of no redemption. Tell the one who feels like Life is finished. You tell him as well. Hey, I'm not done with him yet. I'm using him. Tell my disciples and Peter. You failed. So what? Pick yourself back up. Dust yourself off. Keep going for God in your life. That's what those two words tell me. Hey, friend, God loves you. He knows about your cracks. And he wants to use you anyway. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Uh, we have a God who loves us, who cares for us. Not only that, He knows your infirmities. He knows your weaknesses, and He loves you still. Oh, the song, I'm so glad that my Father in heaven tells me of love, uh, of a love in a book He has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the greatest that Jesus loves me. What a wonderful thought for us today. He loves us and He'll forgive us. God is a forgiving God. 
It is, isn't a wonderful thing he forgave Peter? Isn't a wonderful thing he forgave you and me? Why in the wide world would we allow failures and setbacks in our life to hold us back, failures that he's already let go and we won't? Why? Why do we hold on to things that God doesn't hold on to? Don't let them define you. He forgave Peter, who went on to preach Pentecost. 3,000 people that day got saved and were added to the church. Peter went on to be a vital leader in the early church. In John 21, Jesus told Peter that he would die as a martyr. But the Bible never gives us any details about his death. For that, we go to secular history, church history. And they tell us that Peter was crucified. Eusebius was, a, uh, was the writer, and he writes of actual eyewitness testimony of the day that Peter died. Before he was crucified, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his wife. As he watched her being led to her death, he called her name and said, Remember the Lord! And when it was his turn, he pleaded with the executioners that he did not feel worthy to be crucified the same as his Savior. And so he asked to be crucified upside down, and so they did. They nailed him to that cross with his head pointed downward. The greatness of Peter did not come because of his bombastic personality. Peter's confidence is not what led to his success. It was not his preaching ability. It was not his great leadership ability that brought thousands of people to Christ. It was not uh, anything on his own power. Rather, it was two things, I believe, that led to Peter's greatness. A gracious and forgiving Savior who, that would say, tell his disciples and Peter. And secondly, there was Peter who allowed himself to be used despite his failure. And he did great things for God. I look around this room today and see a great-looking group of people, for the most part. But yet, if we could open up every heart today, there'd be a lot of grief there, be a lot of sadness, be a lot of heartache. And we hide it, carry our Bibles, slap on a smile. People ask how we're doing, and we say, what? Fine. But, but we're not fine. And there is pain, and there is heartache, and there is feelings of failure. But what a blessing it is. And by the way, it would shock you to see what some people, maybe even in this room, are going through. And can I tell you today, somebody knows. Isn't that a blessing? Somebody knows. And somebody cares. And somebody understands your infirmities and your shortcomings and your failures. And he's not through with you. That's a lie from the devil. He's not through with you. He still wants to use you. In fact, he can do great things with you and through you. He's not so interested in what you can do for him as what he can do through you, if you let him. Tell his disciples, and the two sweetest words in the New Testament, and Peter, and you, and you, friend. Let's pray. Father, we ask you today, We've already asked you to challenge our hearts in a special way. And oh, Father, I don't know. I don't know who needed this message. I know I did. I pray today that you'd help us to realize the great and tremendous grace and forgiveness of God. Lord, I pray you'd help us not to let our own failures cripple us, 
going forward for you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand along with me? And she's going to begin to play on the piano. And if God spoke to your heart, there's an old-fashioned altar up here where you can come and talk to Him.